The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. And you can find that on page 839 on the Black Pew Bibles. Please stand with me as I read God's word. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. It's the word of the Lord. Well, we are in uh, Mark 4, as you've just heard, verses 21 through 34. This is going to be um, our last Sunday in Mark. We're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, I think I've mentioned a couple times before that uh, as we work our way through the entirety of Mark's gospel, we will periodically um, take breaks um, to give us a chance to just sort of chew and marinate in some of the things that we've heard and to be able to preach through other books of the Bible. And so this morning is going to be the last one before we take um, a break, the month of September and October. What we're going to do is we're going to roll into the book of 2 Peter, and we're going to take time to study the second uh, letter that Peter wrote um, to, the, to some believers. And uh, what I want to do is encourage you, if you haven't read 2 Peter in a while, to go ahead and read it in preparation for where we're going to go over the next seven weeks. Um, but then also to consider um, how you might invite someone to be able to come and hear the things that are in Second Peter. Second Peter is admittedly a little bit obscure. Um, a lot of people just glaze over it. They love First Peter. They don't roll into Second Peter. Um, but Second Peter is a phenomenal little book, only three chapters, but it addresses some incredible, incredible truths. Um, one of the sub-themes that we've studied so far in the first four chapters of Mark is this idea of what does it mean to be a disciple, What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? So as Mark is saying, listen, I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know what he came to do. Sort of that sub-theme has really been this. Now, how do we react to this? 
How are we following Jesus? Are you actually a disciple? What does it look like to be a follower? Are there going to be signs or evidence in your life that will show that you're truly following Jesus, counting the cost, giving your life to him as Lord and Savior? And 2 Peter is really designed to answer that very question. What's interesting is that Mark gets his information, his first-hand account, his eyewitness account of all that he's written from the Apostle Peter. And so now we're going to do a shift into the second letter of Peter, as Peter is really going to sit down and say, listen, it's sort of his swan song. This is his last letter. He's saying, I'm about to die. Um, it's sort of like 2 Timothy for Paul. He's like, I'm, I'm bouncing out of here. I'm not going to be around anymore. I want you guys to know a couple things before I go. So he's going to talk about what kind of fruit should be in your life if you're truly a follower of Christ. How can you examine this fruit in your life? I want you to know something true about the Word of God. If you've got friends in your life who are asking questions, you know, is this book of the Bible, is it just a load of baloney? Is it a myth? Can we actually trust it? Peter's going to address that issue. Our culture is teaching all sorts of things, calling us to forsake Christ and come and follow follow it, but then Peter's going to address that issue of false teachers and false teaching and saying this is how we stay the course in a world that wants us to, to cash in our chips. You've got friends who are wrestling with those things. Second Peter's for you. Second Peter's going to shift to that idea of the end times, the end of all things in Christ. If you've got people who are just sort of discounting that in your life, saying it's just no big deal, that's just myth, it's legend, it's something we shouldn't believe. Peter is addressing the same issue with believers in the 60s, 60s AD, who are saying, man, the coming of Christ, it's just all a wash, we don't need to pay attention to that. And he's going to then turn around and go, well, how should we actually live in light of this? What, what does this even mean for us? Peter's even going to address that issue. So I, can ch I challenge you to consider what would it look like to survey the people in your sphere of influence to go and read Second Peter and go, you know what, man, there's someone asking about the Bible. There's someone who's trying to, who's struggling with what it really means to be a follower of Christ. There's someone struggling with that tension and that pull between the things of the world and the things of Christ. There's someone in my, in my world who could really just benefit from understanding where this whole shooting match is, is going toward and how that is meant to impact them. And then to pray for them. And then I would encourage you to be bold and actually invite them to come and check that out. So as we turn our attention here to Mark, what we're going to do is hit pause. We're going to pray as we turn to these three parables that Jesus is going to give us, showing us how the kingdom of God grows. Father, we come to you. And with childlike faith, we just simply ask you to speak We're trusting that your word will not return void. That when we give ourselves over to the word of the gospel, to the words of Christ, to his teaching and to his ways, that when we sow the seed of the word into our hearts and into the lives of those around us, Father, we just we're banking on the promise that your word will not return empty. This is how your kingdom grows. So even now, Father, in this time, would you advance the kingdom of God in the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters and even in myself as we turn our attention to these words from our Savior and from our King, Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. If you've ever given yourself over to the task of sharing the gospel, 
of reading the Bible, trying to lead a life of discipline where you're reading the scriptures and trying to put the scriptures into you, you will know that this, this truth, that sometimes the work of the Lord is frustrating and sometimes the work of the Lord is disappointing. For some of us, we've taken the time to shine the light of the gospel with a coworker. God made an opportunity and we took that opportunity and we, we spoke the words of Christ talking about sin, hell, sharing how Jesus is the good news. Maybe it was a, with a friend or a family member. and those, those opportunities have come and they have come and we have taken that, that opportunity to speak, to shine the light of the gospel. But as we did so over weeks and over months and over the years, we've experienced this, that just nothing seems to be happening no matter what we do. Or maybe there's for others of us, we've taken the time to, to sow the seed of the word with a neighbor. Maybe you've had just those over-the-fence conversations where they're talking about a frustration that's going on in their life and you point them to the Scripture and you point them to the Scripture and you point them to the Scripture and you point them to the Scripture, but no matter how often you, you do this, despite how many times you've opened your mouth and you've asked them to consider the words of Christ themselves, there just seems to be ex- just little fruit, no fruit whatsoever. And it's after repeated times of doing this, shining the light of the gospel, sowing the seed of God's word into the lives of people around us that we begin to experience this sort of frustration and this disappointment over and over. And we just begin to wonder, why why should we just even continue doing this? Like it just seems so futile. We keep doing it and there just seems to be no fruit whatsoever. Like why would I just continue to give myself to this seemingly insignificant, fruitless endeavor? For all of our seed sowing and for all of our gospel shining, no matter what we do, there appears to be no signs of spiritual growth whatsoever. So we survey the evidence before us and we begin to draw this conclusion, like why should we even continue doing these things? But it's this seeming lack of growth, this experience of frustration and disappointment that Jesus is going to address. He's going to help us to see that unless we have a good understanding of how the kingdom grows, unless we have a good understanding of how when we sow the seed of the Word of God in the lives of people, we will unfortunately come to the place where we just start to keep our mouths closed, drawing the conclusion, why should we even continue? I don't think we should because this seems like a powerless fruitless endeavor, but Jesus is going to challenge this way of thinking this morning as he turns our attention with three parables to address this idea of how exactly his kingdom advances in the hearts and the lives of people. And so as Jesus does this, he's going to take up this teaching idea again of parables. And he's, he's going to remind us that despite the many who are rejecting the good news of God's kingdom, we have the promise that his kingdom will powerfully and steadily grow. Remember where Jesus is and where, remember the context of where we are in Mark. Jesus has been doing a lot of things, remember? Teaching with authority, healing with authority, casting out demons with authority. But what's going on? People are in droves rejecting this. They're surveying the evidence and they're going, this guy's out of his mind. He's a lunatic. He's a liar. He's actually doing these things because he's demonized, empowered by Satan himself. But there's very few who are surveying the evidence and they're starting to go like, I I think this guy might be the Lord, this coming king that we've been longing for. 
And last week, Jesus was talking about this, this idea of a farmer scattering seed and talking about that idea of the conditions of the hearts of men. But this time, he's going to turn our attention to not only is that a reality when we think about why people are rejecting and receiving the Word of God and the reality of who Christ is, we also have to simultaneously hold on to this reality that there is just an innate power within the Word of God itself to advance in the hearts and the lives of men and women. And so to bring this idea home, Jesus begins by teaching the disciples this first truth that God's kingdom is like light. God's kingdom is like light. You see that in verses 21 through 25. Verse 21, Jesus starts off telling the parable. He says to them, the disciples that are around them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So what Jesus is doing in this parable, he's just playing off something that was very common for these men and women of the day. The way that you had light in a house at night when things were dark was you lit a lamp. And so he's just playing off this common practice of lighting a lamp in this house. And as he presents this parable to the crowd, there, I think there would have been this sort of smile that comes over the, of the face of the people that were there. He's telling them this parable. He's like, listen, you, you light lamps at night, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we light, we light lamps. He's like, well, do you light it for the purpose of sticking it under a bed? Do you light it for, for the purpose of sticking it under a basket? And the smile comes on their face like, no, of course you don't, you don't do that. The point of a lamp is to put it on a lampstand so that everyone can see. You put a lamp in your house, you set it on a stand so that hidden things in the dark can be exposed. So that things secret that you can't really see in the darkness will actually be brought out into the open. And Jesus says that's exactly why you light a lamp. And he's like, I says, what you need to know is this, is that God's kingdom is exactly like this. God's kingdom is like a lamp on a stand designed to expose darkness with its light. If you remember what Jesus said last Sunday, Jesus in the parable of the sowers was talking to the, to the disciples. And remember that there was that odd little snippet right there in the middle of him giving the parable and explaining the parable where Jesus starts talking about the secret of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was talking to his disciples and said, listen, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And what we said last week was this idea of the secret of the kingdom of God is this, that with the arrival of King Jesus, God's plan of salvation for humanity has just been brought out, right out into the light. It's no longer hidden. It's no longer secret. God's plan that men and women will be reconciled to God the Father through the work of the death and the resurrection of King Jesus, it's no longer a thing that we have to wonder about. We don't have to sit back and go like, I don't really know what God is up to. Jesus is saying, you know exactly what God is up to because I am on the scene. This is the secret of God. It's no longer a secret. It's been brought out into the open. He is plainly saying, Jesus is plainly saying that God's plan for lost people to be found finds its fulfillment in me because I am the light of men who has come as a light into the world. In essence, Jesus is simply saying that I am the lamp and I am meant to be set on a lampstand so that the light of my kingdom can shine 
on all those who dwell in darkness. And because this is the reality, and because this is God's purpose in salvation, what you need to do, verse 24, is pay attention to the things you hear. Jesus issues the call, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. See, what Jesus is doing in a loving way is he's giving a warning. He's letting us know that on that final day of judgment, all are going to be measured against this truth. When you roll into verses 24 and 25, and you get into sort of that, sort of that, some of those weird phrases he starts tossing around, with the measure you use that we measure to you, still more will be added to you and to the one who has, more will be given from the one who has has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is just simply saying this, listen, there's coming a day when you will be judged before God, the judge. You will stand before him. And on that final day of judgment, all is going to be measured against this truth, this truth that the secret of the kingdom of God, the key to the kingdom is found in Christ the king himself. This light has been made known. People know this truth. And as you stand before God, the judge, on that final day of judgment, you will be measured against this truth. So to know the secret of the kingdom, that it is fulfilled in Christ the King, and to receive and embrace this truth, it means this, still more will be added to you, more will be given. That is, not only has God given you understanding into the secret of the kingdom, but he's going to cause your life like the good soil to bear fruit accordingly. To know that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the key, Jesus is the king, the good news of God's kingdom finds himself in, fulfilled in him. To embrace that truth, to receive that truth, means you not only understand the secret of the kingdom of God, not only has God given that to you, but he's going to give more to you in the sense that he's going to cause your life to overflow with the good fruit of knowing this reality. But, Jesus says, if we fail to grasp the secret of the kingdom now, if we do not respond to it now, if we survey the evidence now, if we dismiss the evidence now, if we reject the evidence now, if we look at Christ and go, I know what the cross is about, but I don't want it now. I reject it now. Jesus is a liar. He's not who he says he is. He's a lunatic. He's out of his mind. The things of Christ, I don't want anything to do with them now. Jesus is giving the warning to fail to grasp the secret of the kingdom now and to not respond to it now is going to put you in the place where you might be increasingly alienated from Jesus and his kingdom in the future. See, the future of where we spend eternity forever, either separated from God or in a relationship with God forever, isn't a decision that is made in the future. It's a decision that is made in the now as we react, respond, or reject to the truths of Christ as we know them from the scriptures. We don't need anything else for us to know the way of salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And Jesus is saying you're either going to receive that or reject that now and know that if you reject that now, it has definite, absolute implications for that future day. And then in a very abrupt shift, Jesus moves away from this idea of light and he goes right back into the world of farming. He goes back into the world of agriculture. 
he shows us, yes, we can say that God's kingdom is like light, but when we think about how God's kingdom grows, we can also say this, that God's kingdom is like seed. God's kingdom is like seed. Jesus gives two parables along those lines. First parable, starting off of verse 26, Jesus just simply says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So he's dipping back into the exact same illustration that we, that we had last week in the parable of the soils. There's a farmer, he's got that little sash hanging over him, he's got a bunch of seed in there, he's just dig, digging his hand into that bag and he's just tossing out seed left and right. Last week, Jesus turned our attention to the receptivity of the soil Good soil, bad soil, that kind of idea. But now here, Jesus is going to talk about sort of the, the innate power of the seed to be able to just germinate on its own. So he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and the seed grows, but the farmer, he's clueless. He doesn't know how this is happening. The earth produces by itself. That word by itself in the original language is the word where we get automatic. It's just automatically producing things. Simply because the guy threw the seed and it hit the soil, the seed is going to start to automatically do something. There's a power within the seed itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Eventually the grain coming ripe in the harvest. And what's the farmer do? He's done being passive, and so he goes out into the field, grabs his sickle, and he harvests the grain. So it's with this parable that we learn this truth that the kingdom of God grows powerfully. The kingdom of God grows powerfully. This parable starts similar to the parable of the soils, but this one has a different point. Again, in the parable of the soils, the focus falls on the receptivity of the soil, but here the emphasis falls on the seed which possesses its own power to germinate and bear fruit. So Jesus is saying, yes, there's this idea that when we sow the seed of the Word of God, because remember last week what Jesus says, this idea of the seed in these parables, it equates to this idea of the Word of the Gospel. The seed is the Word. And so what Jesus is saying is when you go out and you scatter the seed of the word, when you go out and share the gospel, when you go out and in some way, shape, or form bear witness to the truth of who Christ is, yes, it is going to land on different kind of hearts, hearts that are hard, hearts that are rocky, hearts that are distracted, tangled by weeds, but there are, it is going to land on some hearts that are good soil, and not good soil because they are good in and of themselves, but good soil because God, by His grace, is plowing up somebody's heart to want to receive the Word. So Jesus says when it comes to how the kingdom grows, to the way the people respond positively to the gospel, yes, there is an aspect where it has something to do with the heart condition of that man, of that woman, but what He also says is this, it definitely and absolutely has something to do with just the power of the gospel to be able to work itself into the lives of a person and completely change them from night to day, from lost to found. There is an innate power within the word of the gospel to bear fruit. So Jesus just simply says, listen, look at the farmer. He knows what's up. He gets this illustration he scatters seed on the ground, and then what he, what's he do? He hits the sack. He goes home and lays his head on the pillow. Goes to bed, gets up. Goes to bed, gets up. Goes to bed, gets up. 
He's not really sure this whole theory behind crop growth. I mean, he didn't take an ag class in his undergrad. All he knows is, listen, I walk along the path, I stick my hand in the sack, I throw out some seed, and then weeks go by, weeks go by, weeks go by, then all of a sudden, a little blade is sticking up in the grass. Something sprouting and something starting to grow. More weeks go by, and the next thing you know, that thing is no longer just an inch, but now it's a foot, and it's starting to, that little piece of wheat now has, has an ear on it. The more weeks go by, and that ear turns into a full head of grain, and the next thing you know, months later, I'm out there with my sickle, and I'm whacking down a harvest full of grain, and all I did was, multiple months ago, was stick my hand in the sack and just throw it out there, that somehow, somehow this thing just took off, and it grew, resulting in a harvest. And what's interesting is at first, it may have appeared that nothing significant was happening out on the field. Just imagine what the farmer did. What if he just goes out there one day, he sticks his hand in the sack, and he just tosses out some seed. Good day's work. Heads on in the home, lays his head down, gets up, goes and looks out the window. What's he see? A field. Absolutely nothing. Well, okay, that's sort of weird. I mean, I did something yesterday. Maybe there should be a little bit of fruit growing. It's not the case. So he goes home. He lays his head down on the bed. He wakes up in the morning. Day two, he goes back out there. What does he do? He looks out there and what's he see? Just a bunch of dirt. Nothing. Day three, he comes back. Nothing. Day four, he comes back. Nothing. Day five, nothing. Week one, week two, nothing. It's only after multiple weeks of just really being passive, having really no part in the whole process at all, that all of a sudden he just wakes up one morning. He goes to the window and he looks. He's like, what in the world? All those seeds that I scatter, they're all of a sudden, they're actually sprouting, they're actually growing, quite apart from him. See, if there's one thing the farmer knows, it's that even though it appears nothing is happening, even though it appears nothing is happening, all the time the seed is at work to produce a harvest. And Jesus just says this, listen, the growth of my kingdom, it's exactly like this. Just as a seed possesses its own power to germinate and bear fruit, so the seed of the gospel possesses its own power to germinate and bear fruit in the soil of a person's heart. No matter how slowly this seems to be happening, you and I can rest assured that the word of the gospel is powerfully at work in the world. I mean, just think about how you came to know the gospel. Or think about how that neighbor that you've been sharing the gospel with, who's now a believer, who wasn't. For many of us, it's very rarely this. You're traipsing along, no clue about Jesus. Someone shares the gospel with you, then you're bending your knee and you're going, what must I do to need to be, what must I do to be in order to be saved? It's rarely like that. But what it often looks like is this. Someone sows the seed of the gospel and it hits. So is the seed of the gospel, it hits. It's landing on a hard heart. Then all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, you know what? I might be willing to consider these things. So your friend just sort of kept faithfully sowing the gospel. Next thing you know, you're like, I'm not as hard as I was, but like, it's still a little rocky. I've got a little bit of shallowness there. I'm still a little ashamed of these things. I'm not going to talk about them. Then weeks and months go by, and the next thing you know, your friend's continuing to faithfully sow. And what happens? All of a sudden, a little a little shoot sort of shoots up in their heart where they're going, you know what, like I might be willing to consider these things a little bit more. Can we, can we talk about this? Can we start reading the Bible? 
And now it's no longer an issue of a shallow heart, maybe a distracted heart as they're trying to weigh out what does it look like to be a follower of Christ. And the next thing you know, maybe a year, two, three, four, five down the road, after you consistently sowing the seed of the word in their life, what do they do? They're standing here on the front of the church going, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And the question was, what part did you do to make that happen? Nothing. You weren't working in their heart. You weren't working in their, in their lives. Our job was to consistently just sow the seed, no matter how fruitless of an endeavor it looks, no matter how insignificant that little Bible study was or that little text message you sent with that piece of Scripture or when they were weeping at your house because of some hardship going on in their life where you loved them, you listened to them, you prayed for them. It was all of these things over a long period of time, those small, mostly overlooked little moments of grace where you were just sowing the seed of the gospel into their heart and life to where over that period, one day they lift up and go like, Jesus is Lord. He's no longer a liar. He's no longer a lunatic. And Jesus said, and this is exactly how the kingdom of God grows. This is exactly how the kingdom of God grows. See, God, if you go to Isaiah chapter 55, God gives us this promise concerning his word. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but what they do is they water the earth, they make the earth bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Jesus says, this is an illustration of, of my word. Je the Father says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. So Isaiah is saying that just as the rain and the snow cannot fail to nourish the earth, so God's word cannot fail to nourish and grow God's people. See, this is the power of sowing and reaping. We have the promise that if we sow the word of the gospel, whether it's in our own lives, whether it's into the lives of the others, but we have the promise that if we sow the word of the gospel, we will reap the fruit of the gospel. This is how God's kingdom grows. Now, the growth may not happen as quickly as we like, but no matter how slowly we think it may be going, it's in those seemingly insignificant moments over long periods of time that we come to experience the promise of God's word that it will bear fruit as we continue to sow the gospel. So where are you sowing at right now? And you're beginning to draw the conclusion, this is just really fruitless. Like for the 1,000th time, I've told my dad about Jesus. And he just repudiates it. Like for the 100th time, I've prayed for my neighbor, and like he just won't get it. That friend of yours who just drifts in and out of community group, that drifts in and out of the church, whatever it is, maybe they've grown up in the church their whole life, but it's just evident there's no fruit of the gospel in their life. And so you're praying for them, and you're praying for them, and you're praying for them, and you're, you're sharing the gospel with them. You're just speaking truth in their life. You're being a witness for the things of God. You're speaking the truth of the word of the gospel in their life, but years go by and years go by, and it's just like, man, this is, just, this is so worth, so not worth it. What God is, what Christ is saying here in these scriptures, in this parable, is don't lose sight of how the kingdom grows. 
there is an innate power. The seed of the gospel possesses its own power to germinate and bear fruit in the soil of a person's heart. So we see that the kingdom of God grows powerfully, but then Jesus shifts into this last parable and he shows us that the kingdom of God grows steadily. So it's not only powerful, but it's steady. It starts small, but it grows big. So he turns to this idea of a mustard seed. Mustard seed in Jesus' day, it was just sort of the proverbial smallest thing around. If you want to just talk about something that was just seemingly insignificant, seemingly small, something where you look at it and go, man, this thing is so, so unremarkable. Surely nothing will come out of it. You just sort of proverbially went to the mustard seed. And so Jesus compares God's kingdom to a mustard seed, which he says is the smallest of all seeds on earth, the mustard seed, yet this mustard seed, when it is sown in the ground, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, puts out its large branches so that even birds of the air can come and make nests in its shade. And so if you were to plant in Jesus' day a mustard seed, you would just hold it in your hand and it would just be noticeably small. You'd look at it and just go, man, this thing has an extremely small beginning. It's just seemingly unremarkable. One would assume that surely nothing substantial is going to come out of this thing that's so insignificant. But soon that small seed, once you plant it in the ground, it explodes with growth. It produces something completely out of proportion to itself. And Jesus says his kingdom is exactly the same way. From a seemingly insignificant beginning, his kingdom has grown and it continues to grow expansively. See, what began as something small, Jesus and the twelve, has grown to become the greatest. His kingdom is worldwide. His kingdom knows no boundaries. Unlike earthly rulers who are long forgotten and earthly kingdoms that come and go, His kingdom is forever. His name stands as the name that's above every name. And see, far from fading into obscurity, one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? Because His kingdom knows no end. His kingdom is eternal. Yes, His kingdom started small, but there is a steady certainty to His rule and reign that will one day eclipse our wildest imaginations. See, what Jesus is talking about here when he says this idea of this plant starts small, grows big, but that even the birds of the air come and make its nest in its shade. I agree with a lot of the commentators who say this idea of all these birds making nests in its shade are those who are antagonistic to this seed, antagonistic to the kingdom. They actually now come and find refuge in the kingdom. One of the problems with sowing mustard seeds back in the day was birds would want to come, swoop down, eat up, destroy that seed, feed themselves on the seed. But now what's happening, Jesus says, it's just sort of funny. I think he's having a bit of a ha-ha moment with them. He's like, listen, if you sow mustard seeds, you know the problem. Your hope is that they get down in the, into the soil quickly enough before the enemy of the seed comes, the bird who swoops down and wants to snatch up that seed and eat it and destroy it. But now look, that one mustard seed that made its way in the soil, it has now grown so big that once the enemy of the seed is actually now coming finding refuge in this thing. 
And I think what Jesus is doing is he's talking about those who are antagonistic to the kingdom of God. This kingdom is so expansive, so powerful, so growing that you and I know people who are antagonistic to the seed of the gospel. But then all of a sudden, God begins to plow in their heart. And the grace of God begins to work. And there you are being used by God, continually sowing, continually sowing, and continually sowing. And this friend of yours who was once antagonistic to the gospel, wanting to destroy this thing called the kingdom, is now all of a sudden finding refuge in it. He's sort of like a bird sitting up in his shade going, man, I'm really glad I didn't destroy this one. He's reaping the benefits of the kingdom now instead of being antagonistic to the kingdom. All you've got to do is go look at the Apostle Paul perfect example. What's he doing on the road to Damascus? You go read Galatians 1, he unpacks sort of his testimony. He's on the road to Damascus, sort of like a bird swooping into Damascus. And what's he doing? He's saying, I'm going to destroy this seed. I'm going to kill these Christians. I will make sure the kingdom of this so-called King Jesus will not spread. And what happens? Gets flattened on the road to Damascus and he's looking up going, is this you, Lord? Is this you? I believe. Now all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul, sort of this bird who was over here picking at and destroying the seed of the kingdom, now all of a sudden is one of the birds finding refuge in the shade of the kingdom. Why? Because that's the way the kingdom grows is when God works powerfully in the hearts and the lives of men and women. See, again, the kingdom starts small. But there is a steady certainty to his rule and reign that will one day eclipse our wildest imaginations. From Nazareth to the nations, Christ's kingdom will expand, eventually culminating in a great multitude that no one can number. A multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with loud voices, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The Apostle John in Revelation chapter 7 says this is where this baby is heading to. To where the nations will be harvested and reaped into the kingdom. Why? Because God's kingdom is a force. Because the word of the gospel has an innate power that when it lands on the hearts of men and women, as we continue just to sow and sow and sow, we trust that God honors his promise that when we sow the seed of his word into the hearts and lives of people, his word will not return void. It won't return empty. And it's that truth and that reality that Jesus is simply driving home when he says you need to understand how the kingdom of God grows. This is where the culmination of history is heading as God builds his kingdom through the word of his gospel. So the question that we can ask ourselves just to wrap this up is just this simple question, how am I meant to respond to this? If you remember what we said last week, what did we say? Parables from Jesus are meant to be like a mirror. You're meant to look into it and to see yourself. You're meant to read these three parables and go, where am I at inside these parables? Not, man, I really hope Brett is reading this and paying attention today because he really needs this. That's not the point of a parable. The point of the parable is I need to find myself somewhere in these things. And so maybe as you've listened this morning, you've found yourself in, in the parable of the lamp. 
where you're sitting here going, you know what, like I know the things of Christ. I've been in church long enough to know this idea of sin and separation from God and my need for a Savior. I know the Savior is Christ. I know He died on the cross. I know He went into the grave. But you just sort of find yourself in that place of going, man, I'm just dismissing this. I don't want anything with it. I think if you're in this place today where you're wading through this idea of rejecting or receiving the things of Christ, who He is and what He came to do, I think the place you find yourself in, again, is the parable of the lamp. Heeding Christ's call to pay attention to what you hear. To have ears that hear. Asking yourself this question, how have I responded to the light of Christ seen in the gospel? knowing that I will be measured against this truth on that final day of judgment. And then to begin just praying a simple prayer like this, childlike, Father, I need you to help me see these things. I need you to help me see these things. Father, plow up the soil of my heart by your grace so that I would not hear the words of Christ and dismiss it, but so that I could hear the words of Christ and receive it. If you're here in this place, I think you'd find yourself in the parable of the lamp. For others of us, it just might be this idea of the parable of the seeds. And I think if you find yourself here as a believer, I think your call is to just simply be encouraged. Your call is to keep sowing. Your call is to understand that God's word will bear a harvest and nothing can stop its growth. To understand that nothing will stand against Christ and His kingdom. Our culture is raging against Christ's kingdom right now. And the temptation can be to look around and go, man, this thing isn't going to go well for us. Maybe the gates of hell are going to prevail against Christ and His kingdom. But the truth of this parable here is this, is that no matter how tough it gets, no matter how much persecution, trial, or tribulation come our way, the guaranteed promise of the living God is that no matter how much, Psalm 2, the nations rage against the king and his kingdom, the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom. They just cannot. Remember what we read a couple weeks ago? Christ is the strong man. He has already bound the enemy. He's already bound him. His kingdom will prevail. So what do you do in the here and now? So, 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 so. Let's pray. God, help my brothers and sisters. Lord, help me to walk in a way that matches what we know from these parables. God, we need your help to help us not grow discouraged when it seems like sowing of the gospel is really fruitless, that it's powerless. Help us when we're tempted to think, you know what, this is just really uh, an endeavor that I just don't really need to give myself over to because look how... How little is being accomplished. God, I think those are the whispers of the enemy who wants us to bail out on the power of the gospel, the power that it has to change the hearts and lives of men and women. So God, we just ask you to do this. I'm asking you to do it in my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters right now. Would you just solidify this truth 
solidify this reality in our hearts right now, that your word will not return empty. That's a promise. And because that promise has been given to us, we would cling to that promise, allowing that promise to drive our behavior in the present to where we would leave today walking out of these doors saying, listen, I'm going to sow the seed of God's word into my own life because I want to see gospel growth in me. So I'm going to cling to this promise that as I do so, no matter how fruitless it may seem, no matter how many weeks or months go by and it seems like there's just no fruit coming from us, I'm going to cling to the promise God's word will not return empty here. And then I will continue to cling to that exact same promise that as I sow the seed of the word, into my neighbor's heart that I would just continue to beg and to plead with my father that he would delight to germinate the gospel into their heart. God, empower us in these ways. Empower us by your promises as we look to you and not to ourselves. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.